From multiple structured locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are prototyping tools and game design tools. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Insert awkward beginning here. <laughs> well done. We've, we've completely fully inserted it. <laughs> it's done now. No awkward <laughs> intro here. Yeah, I got that out of the way. Uh, it's clear sailing all the way to the end of the episode. <laughs> yep, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Let's rip that bandaid off. Uh, well, all right. Let's just start. Uh-huh. Better than talking. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> must. What's, what's going on? What's going um, on? In, so at the end on? of the month, correct? 2D con? Is happening? Yes. Still? So um, I got all the our calendar scientists together to figure this out because <laughs> yes. we're not the best minds. good at this. But um, this episode should be coming out the week of August 17th-ish. Is that okay. right? Someone, I mean, you guys know, right? <laughs> you, you tell uh, me if oh, I was yeah, lying. Oh, yeah, right. I'm not a, you think I'm a calendar <laughs> scientist? <laughs> like, no, the best calendar minds did not include okay. us. Right. <laughs> Anyways, so um, not this upcoming weekend, but the following weekend, August 28th through the 30th, um, is uh, 2DCon, which is a local convention here in Minneapolis every year. But this year it's online because that's the world we live in these days. Mm. And um, one of the it's a lot, a lot of really interesting programming. And from where, where we're sitting, a lot of it's still in the works. Um, but what I can tell you is the indie programming that is being helped put together um, by the folks at uh, IGDATC, myself included. Um, and one of the things we're going to be doing is trying to replicate that experience of going to a convention and playing games, but in an online se- setting. So I've talked in previous episodes about Twin Cities Playtest, which is an event that, that I helped put together where um, we use uh, the desktop streaming software Parsec, um, which you can look up if you're not familiar, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, in order to provide a place for people to uh, publicly arrive and play games. And so we have a, a, a machine that specifically hosts the games, and these are it can be anything. So, you know, it doesn't have to have any online component or anything like that. And then we use this service to let people log in and play them. And we also then take that machine and stream it to Twitch. So it's a public event. And if you're in Twitch chat, you can say, hey, I want, I want next, and you can line up and you can play the game. So we do this for playtest events because for developers, it's been very difficult to playtest our, our games and prototypes. Um, and yeah. so um, that's been really valuable, but that same setup can be used for a public uh, convention setting. And that's what we're doing here uh, for 2D cons. So we're going to have a big list of games and you've heard some of these already because we've talked about them on the show. We've worked on a bunch of these, but they're from the, this, this community and they're all going to be part of this showcase. Vengeance, Hyperdot, Widget Satchel, Astral Gunners, uh, Emery, Metro Nexus, Elementals, Color Jumper, Death Drives the Bus, Aliyup, Newt One, more games that we haven't uh, confirmed yet, but are definitely on the way. All those games are going to be uh, as part of that showcase on the weekend, um, the 29th and 30th. We're going to have these four-hour blocks. We're going to play through them. You can come and try them out. Some of the games are available now. Some are coming pretty soon. I'm just totally in used car salesman mode right now, by the way. <laughs> but the other thing we're doing is um, uh, uh, Last Geek, who is a, a streamer, um, as also part of this community, uh, he is going to be doing an indie showcase. So on Friday night, on the 28th, uh, there's going to be a, a sort of a Nintendo Direct style showcase of all of these games, uh, where you're going to uh, see more, you know, see their trailers, get a, a taste, 
And then um, a lot of the developers are going to be there for a live Q&A. So uh, um, uh, uh, Bryce Lesky, he's going to be sort of uh, moderating a, a discussion about, you know, making games and, and, and talking about each, each of our projects. And it's going to be uh, probably rather chaotic because there's going to be a bunch of us, but it's going to be very cool. And that's going to be a little bit of a taste. And then you can play those games that weekend. So we're very excited. It's part of the online conference 2 Con. Uh, we'll put the uh, all the relevant URLs and links in the show notes. You can check that out. We're very excited to, um, I'm personally anyway, very excited to sort of help bring that event online because it's, uh, 2DCon is also a nonprofit. Um, it raises money for charity mm-hmm. and it's doing that again this year. And um, one of the consequences of this new world we live in is, you know, uh, uh, not just that everyone has to change their lives, not just that like businesses are struggling, but like a lot of the avenues we have to help each other as a community and to support causes we believe in, um, you know, and just to come together and enjoy our time uh, has been severely hampered. And so it requires a lot of effort from a lot of people to keep that stuff alive. And uh, so I'm really happy to be a small part of that that's happening this year for 2DCon. Yeah. I will say, Mark, mm-hmm. um, you said you were in used car salesman yeah. mode, but none of these games are lemons. They are all very cool <laughs> and very fun. Beautiful. I love it. Excellent. Junicon has been like super great too, because like in the past, it's just been, it's been, I've gotten a lot of like good feedback from people playing the games and stuff. Yeah. And the nice thing about this year's um, event is that like it's online. So if you don't live in Minnesota and you want to come check out Vengeance or, other games, Widget Satchel. I mean, you could buy Widget Satchel, buy Widget Satchel. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, if you want to try all these games that we've talked about on the show before, this is your opportunity to get uh, to play them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really cool. Yeah, well, it's it's a good thing for our community to keep in touch. But like, it's online. You can all join us. And so yes. uh, we're, we're excited for that, too. And man, there's just so many unknowns about it. Like, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you, like, do you just take a, a, a convention and just map it to an online schedule? What do you change? What do you, I don't know. It's a very interesting topic and uh, rumor has it a future topic for this program uh, on how to take o- offline events online. So we'll talk more about that <laughs> at a future date. Um, yeah. I wonder who leaks that. <laughs> <laughs> there is other news uh, happening that I know Ellen, you wanted to ask Stephen about. Steven is taking a class and and was somewhat reluctant to talk about it on the show, so I made him. So Steven. <laughs> yeah, I'm here now. I was forced against my will to talk on Nice Games Club. No. Uh. <laughs> tell, tell us about your class and, and then I'll ask you questions about it because you said it would be difficult to explain. It's, okay, yeah, I can talk about my class. Uh, so this is obviously an online course because all I, well, not all classes are online, I think, but they should be. Um, Um, but this course is it's like a one credit course that is meant to develop a curriculum that I would be taking myself in the future if I wanted to Mm. as a class that I made if that makes sense it probably doesn't yeah it's like (laughs) the course is for you to design a curriculum yeah yeah basically yeah I'm, I'm learning how to make learning how to and doing uh make a curriculum so that I could potentially take this class in the future effectively. Does that make sense? It's and the class is like a project. So, mm-hmm. um, so what I'm what I'm trying to do with this class specifically is I want to learn. I want to better understand how to make game design documents and document like my my process. Um, and I want to be able to use that game design document to actually develop a game. And so, like, I'm trying to create 
a um, a curriculum based around that. Um, so that's what I've been. I mean, this is only a one credit course, so I haven't been paying a lot of attention to it most of the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll have a uh, actually my draft is due uh, our time in like a week, so <laughs> I gotta work on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. Um, do you find that like you're using this opportunity to to get some like some professional satisfaction out of it, really? Basically, yeah. So is some of that a way just like this makes a lot of sense to you in a practical sense? Or do you feel like you're really unlocking something? Because you're, you're, you're finishing your degree and that's a goal yes. of yours. But right. uh, and, and the manner in which you're doing that is by taking what you've learned already as a professional and, and leveraging that. Um, mm-hmm. Is that really just a means to an end to get that degree done? Or is it really uh, like how much hope do you have? that you'll come out of this just a much better game designer. Like, of course you must have some. I mean, I'm not going to learn a lot from this specifically, but but like if I were to do this project and I think I am going to do it, I'm not sure yet. Um, If I were to do this project, I would like to learn. um, I hope that I would learn a lot about like game design and the documentation that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Because like, I feel like, I mean, like I learned how to make games uh on the streets if you will and so i can't <laughs> yeah uh and so uh i didn't i don't have that specific training of, on like uh, that formal training that like a lot of people who come out of college with game development degrees have about like game documents and stuff and one of my coworkers who went to school for game development has that um he has that background so like he knows how to create a game design document that details like all the different things that you'll want in or you'll want to have in your game and stuff. And like, you can use that document to develop, uh, you know, to actually develop a prototype or a vertical slice of a game or something. Um, And so I I want that knowledge. And so I would like, I would hope that this class, this curriculum that I'm making um, provides me with that. Um, It's I, I I don't, I mean, like at the end of the day, I don't actually have to take this curriculum class that I'm making. So like, uh, I'm not, losing anything by doing this but ideally i would get something out of it you know yeah and you're thinking through what you might want to focus on learning in the future even if you don't learn those things in the structure that you outline in this curriculum yeah exactly yeah that's cool mm-hmm. so you're doing instructional design is what you're telling me i'm what you're doing instructional design uh yeah <gasps> wait yes do you want me to look at your thing? No. Well, maybe. <laughs> okay. It sounds like you would actually be uh, uh, negligent to not use Ellen as a resource if she's off. Yeah, that's it's true. It's very true. Okay, now, Ellen, I get to ask you a question. Okay. Are you reading a book? I'm reading a book. What book are you reading? It's called Actionable Gamification Beyond Points, Badges, and Leaderboards. Oh, what is that? By Yukai Chu. So, uh, gamification can be kind of like a dirty word mm. in behavioral design and learning experience design it's like it's it's not something that's just in learning right it's actually cuts across lots of different types of product design and development and um i think it can be i think that there are a few different ways of looking at it i think it can be used in in a couple different ways like there's like the really kind of superficial points, badges, and leaderboards which is referenced in the title where it's just like okay here's your here's your boring series of videos you have to watch and each time you watch you finish one you get some points you know it's like just putting putting various forms of symbolic measurements on it to make people feel a little bit more like they're making progress but 
there's no like inherent value to those symbols of progress or gain. Um, and then there's like black hat gamification, mm. which is like using using some psychological, you know, behavioral design patterns to trap people in cycles of using products. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, yeah, like, well, you know, like some some of the more frustrating uh, patterns of design you'll see in mobile games right. kind of, I think, fall into that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're games, they're not just gamification. But this, uh, Chu, he came up with like a, an eight-part um, kind of lens at looking at human behavior for gamification design. Yeah. So that takes it beyond just points, badges, and leader- leaderboards. But like what type of dynamics are you trying to capture and set up in your system? Um, so reading it now, it seems only a couple of chapters in, but it's fun to read so far. Cool. Wow, that, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I would like to... You should do a topic on that in the future, maybe. <laughs> Gamification <laughs> okay. as a topic. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. I've got to finish the book. And, <laughs> and to finish the book, I have set up multiple multiple systems to keep myself accountable. So, like, I'm, like, in a book club and have, like, chapter goals every week. It's not a hard book to read. It's just, you know... There's always a lot of things going on and I have to like sit down and choose to read and not choose to do anything else. Yeah. (laughs) I love reading, but (laughs) I don't like starting to read sometimes. Yeah. So that's me. That's my thing. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about prototyping tools Mm -hmm. today. And, and I was planning for this topic and I was thinking like, there's just so many tools out there. We could list a whole bunch here and then we could list more in the show notes. And is that really the right way to approach this topic? Because, you know, honestly, by the time that this episode gets released, there could be another prototyping tool that's out there. There, there are just so many of them and they're so flexible and, you know, what you can find. It really depends on what you're using them for. So I do want to kind of mention like some tools that people use for prototyping games, but I want to kind of first step back from that level of specificity and just talk a little bit more about like purpose and process. Okay. Uh, So I think the first question I want to talk about, and I'm really curious to get your guys' take on this. um, What, like, what is a prototype? And I asked that specifically because I want to talk about what differentiates a prototype from some of the other artifacts that are created throughout design and development. So like, what what are the things that differentiate a prototype of a game from a mood board or a sketch mm-hmm. or a design document or a lookbook? You know, like a, a prototype might have aspects of final as or final look and feel and assets and things like that, yeah. but it's not. And it, you know, if you're prototyping something that's going to be tabletop, it might be just paper. So is how what makes that different from the design document that might just be right, paper? Right. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. What's your guys' take on that? I think there's um, two in my mind anyway, and I don't I don't have any kind of professional lineage to draw from, but just from my experience making and playing prototypes and what they're good for. There's two types that that, mm-hmm. that stand out to me. One is the proof of concept. It's and that is something that like I I for a mechanic or a concept or just some idea 
Um, and it's usually smaller in scale, so it's not full vertical slice. Um, but that's really, your mileage may vary on that depending on the scale of your ultimate project. But it's something that proves the, the, the notion, right? And that you present to others as, oh, look, uh, here's the idea. And so whether that's uh, players to sort of like to, to prove to them that this makes sense, and that they can, and then you'll get feedback from them as they play through to an investor or to other people on your team, um, or to just someone who you're making the project with, uh, to basically sell an idea, and that and this is it in in action, right? It's the proof of concept. Um, yeah. a similar, you know, language, but the separate thing would be um, testing a hypothesis. So an experiment. So I'm making this thing not necessarily to prove this works, but to prove whether it works or doesn't. Right. Mm. Um, and, and that's my hypothesis. Right. And you don't necessarily have to have an active hypothesis for this. It's not specifically you don't need to be so rigid about the science of it. But that's yeah. the kind of two versions of that 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 I'm sort of pulling just from th all the different types of versions I've seen and used. Um, mm -hmm. But those aren't hard and fast categories, I don't think. Yeah, that's how I think. Of I it. would I would argue, Mark, that that the first thing you described is not a prototype, but the second one is more of a prototype okay. to me anyway. Sure. Just because like, I think the way that I think of a prototype is to determine or to figure out how this mechanic works or how these mechanics work to, with one another. Mm -hmm. and things, so you can, you can better understand how the player will approach the game or how the player will feel or experience the game. Um, whereas like, if you're just trying to prove that this game works, that that's more like a vertical slice kind of like a demo sort of sure sure to me right, i mean right. obviously mm. even when you're even if you're like just trying to prove the mechanics working mm -hmm. it's not a demo because like it's, you know i imagine that might not be fully polished in terms of art and style and right, right 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 but but like then at that point you're presenting something and that's like a presentation so you're like you know preparing for that right whereas i think that the sec like a prototype is experimentation right, right. i like that you described it as like scientific using scientific theory because yeah. like that's kind of what it's for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I like you're just trying to I like that you, you pulled out my first example, and, and you're, you, it, for whatever language we're going to wrap around this, you're calling that the demo, yeah. right? It could be white box, yeah. it can be dev art or whatever, but that's still a demo. Um, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sign on to that, um, that phrasing for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, Ellen, I, I, are, are, we like are we making sense? You, you would know better. Yeah. Uh -huh. Having more professional experience. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Well, and it, we, at least in the space where I work, I think prototyping is used maybe a little, I mean, it's, it's used differently and also it's used not so much. I think, um, I like the idea of differentiating prototypes and proofs of concept. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. uh, whether you say a proof of concept is a demo or you call it a vertical slice, um, the, the goal of that is to show like a, a well integrated experience that will give the player of that demo a sense of what the finished game will feel like, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's useful for testing like the player's experience of this, of the integrated game. Uh, with a prototype, like you still might put stuff in front of learners to see what their reaction is, but it's it's more like, you know, what you were both saying, it's about like, you want to see, you have an idea and you think you should build it this way. And you think that if you build it in the way that you envision, it's going to result in players doing this thing that you want. 
And so you want to prototype it so that you can, first of all, figure out if it actually does that and also figure out if you know how to do it and if you can build it the way that you kind of thought you might have been able to when you first thought of the idea. Like you're kind of proofing proofing the the mechanics that you're putting in there um, in your prototype and in the dynamics and also the the development process that you're going to be using, Um, you know. You're you're learning. You're like a prototype is learning more about what the game is, and a proof of concept is learning about whether the game will work. Right, we'll right. Sell. And that, I guess that just what you describe it, especially because of your with like a learning based experience. When you have, um, it's maybe a little bit more by design outcome oriented. Um, you have you have a brief mm-hmm. that your prototype is meant to address. Um, for a mm-hmm. lot of designers, a lot of game designers, uh, the a prototype can be kind of like. Is this anything? Can yeah. can be the, the <laughs> hypothesis you're testing, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's a lot. Uh, so even just those two examples show like how 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 um, how wi- how varied your uh, your purpose of creating a prototype can be, um, mm-hmm. and how like uh, legitimate any any use case for it could be, right? Yeah, yeah. Very very true. Um, yeah. So, like, we can, I guess, like, uh, would it be valuable to then approach the tools of prototyping in that direction? Yes, no? I think so. I mean, I think so, because, like, you know, just coming back to kind of put a pin in that first initial question, like, what makes a a prototype or, you know, a proof of concept vertical slice demo, we're just going to go with proof of concept um for this for this episode i guess uh we'll work on the nice games club glossary and dictionary yeah. later yeah um what makes it different from like these other artifacts that are produced throughout development and you know design and so on and so forth is like a mood board and a sketch a design document a lookbook they aren't a, they aren't games like they don't have rules and a way for this player to interact with the system of rules yep. prototype mm-hmm. does yeah. the proof of concept does Um, and that's like the the core differentiator. Mm -hmm. So like you can test hypotheses around like, I want to use this type of art using a mood board or using like a series of uh, mock-ups or something like that. But that's not, you're not testing the game. You're just testing it. You're testing a hypothesis, but it's not one that you're testing with a prototype. And I think that kind of leads into the question you were asking, Stephen, which is, okay, so you want to test some hypotheses. What tools should you use? And I think it comes down to what's the nature of your hypothesis. So like to maybe create an analogy completely out of the blue. So I'm guessing this first analogy will be bad and I'll cut it. Um, <laughs> like you're doing some science, right? Science. Like you have, you have some science you want to do and you want to test a hypothesis about this insect. Well, you know, you're not going to go to like the jet propulsion laboratory and ask them for some of their equipment to test your hypothesis about insect, unless somehow your hypothesis about insects has something to do with jet propulsion. I don't know. <laughs> Science is big. You could do a lot of things, but like you're going to probably get a microscope. Yeah. 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 Um, So like if your hypothesis is about just like initial art and whether like you should go with this style or this style or you should have like cell shading or something else like that can be something that you test your hypothesis with like mock-ups, mood boards, you know, uh, concept art and so on and so forth. Um, You don't need to build out a full prototype with final, like different versions of final polished art to test that hypothesis. In fact, that's the wrong tool to test the hypothesis, it's the wrong approach. Yeah. So um, 
if you are starting to, you know, get to questions about gameplay, whether it's fun and like, like you were saying, is this a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You got to prototype it because that's, that's the only way that you can really test hypotheses about gameplay. You know, this might be off topic a little bit, but just the way you're describing it, like testing art styles and, and yeah, you can't, if you're going to build out the whole game with a polished art style, just to test if that art style is good, that is essentially a waste of your time. But Mm -hmm. in an ideal world, at least from like my perspective as like a holistic designer, like that actually is the best way to do it. It's just impossible. Right. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think, and so that really comes down to the question of like prototypes are useful to move fast, move cheap, answer your questions as efficiently as possible, but mm-hmm. also keeping mm-hmm. in mind that they may not answer the sort of more complicated interrelated questions of how things work together. They're, they need to be targeted to be effective mm-hmm. and they shouldn't. And the results you get shouldn't be overinterpreted. Because. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, and you're right, because like in order to in order to complete a cohesive picture of what your game will end up being, you need all of it. And it, and you, you can't really get that from a prototype. I mean, I guess you can get it from a prototype, but then you're not using the prototype right. Yeah. <laughs> then you're, you're doing a vertical slice. Fast, <laughs> I, I think like, other it has to be quick. Yeah, yeah. I think other people <laughs> who are like me who do art and code um mm-hmm. will will feel this tension too. It's very difficult for me to pr- make a prototype without mocking up a style and how that relates yeah. to mechanics. Um, yeah. It ties your mm-hmm. hands, right? Because then you're, su- then you're suddenly making two choices without information on, on either. You, have, you make right. them in tandem. And so it's a, it's a harder challenge. And ultimately, you want to test these things in isolation when possible. Um, but also, when I see prototypes with dev art, I worry about people taking too much away from it when then they just say, oh, but this art style tested great and this mechanic totally works. Let's smush them together because we got yeses on both. Um, yeah, and that's kind of so. Uh, sorry, I think I feel like I've derailed the conversation a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's important to keep in mind that like prototypes have, um, like there's more to it than just the actual making of the prototype because it it it's part of a larger picture. Yeah, right, right. No, it's, I think I think I don't think that's unrelated at all. I think that's <sighs> directly related because uh, I think you know in researching this topic, one of the things whenever I was just looking around, seeing what people, questions people were asking about prototyping games they would be asking things like, what tool should I use? Like, how do I do it? What, you know, over and over again. And the advice people were getting wasn't like, use this specific tool for this thing. They just said, use the tools that you're comfortable with, um, but make sure you're prototyping the right things. And that the places where people were running into trouble is when they were spending too much time on making the prototype look yeah, nice. Yeah. Because they were trying, like the, the way that they were using prototypes in their specific use cases was to explore the viability of certain gameplay ideas. Um, And you want to put in the minimal amount of effort into your prototype needed to get a good enough answer to your question. Because like, I think, you know, and this goes back to exactly what you were asking about, Mark, the the purpose of the prototype is not necessarily to answer a question once and Mm -hmm. for all. It's to reduce uncertainty. Mm-hmm. That's a man. That oh, man. Is, that's right? a, That's a nice piece of wisdom. I like that. That's powerful, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Trademark it. We'll put it on a t-shirt. That's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I do want to mention that, like, I think that, I think that you're very right, Ellen, in that, like, um, the prototype is not where you test like a bunch of different things. You need to test one thing and get an understanding of that specific thing. 
But I do think that like things that are missing from the prototype, like art or music or sounds and mm-hmm. things like that, can oftentimes uh, confuse the people who are testing it, and then they'll like be like, "Why isn't this thing do this thing?" Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. I'm not describing this super well, but like I've I've I don't know. In the past, I am not an artist, so like if I make a prototype, it's squares and circles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so like a lot of the feedback I will get will be like, eh, "You should add screen shake or something," and I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> That's not yeah. valuable information. Well, yeah. and I mean I. Th- that part of the uh, that's part of failing on my own because I'm not coloring the expectations of the player um, well enough so that they don't give me that kind of feedback. I have an answer um, to that though, which is yeah. um, you and I probably have a lot of experience uh, having building prototypes and testing them in playtest environments, and and yes. and that is that is of course a huge part of of getting the data you need to address your hypothesis. But right. um, there's also something about prototypes to for yourself right so when you say you make squares and whatever like you don't have to worry about those player expectations you know or when you have a colleague and you say i made this prototype can you test it out you don't have to worry about within your prototype um uh, 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 like telling giving information to the person playing the prototype that you don't want them to have like you can tell a player these are white squares uh you know in a gray world or whatever but like uh, that's not what the final game is going to be because they they know that, and you telling them that is not going to make them understand it any better. But it's still going to affect their experience. But it, but prototypes have a real value as well. Just when you may play it for yourself, or when for a colleague, mm-hmm. where you where like you're of the same headspace. So I, I guess that's yeah. my way of of sort of addressing even what I was saying earlier about that sort of like holistic element about those pieces. When those pieces are missing, it it still says something by their absence, but. That's not that doesn't mean that that it reduces the effectiveness as long as if it's applied in a scenario where that is a known factor. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I just well, in the past, that has not happened <laughs> in my experience. Yeah. yeah. And that isn't I don't know that it's because of me or because of um, uh, who I showed the game to or whatever. It's their fault. Certainly. It has to be <laughs> because of how great you are. Oh, my. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt too. (laughs) (laughs) So I have maybe like a a counter perspective on that because I think like when you're, when you're putting a prototype in in front of somebody and you're like testing a hypothesis and maybe it's a very, very specific hypothesis about a very specific mechanic, or maybe you've got kind of like a few going on and you're just watching somebody play the game and seeing if they get hung up on certain things or seeing if they follow certain paths. If, if you're, I've had this happen before in, more simplistic acti- you know, digital activities than like widget satchel, for <laughs> instance. These are things that are just a couple minutes long, but I will be working at it and I'm not so close to it that I can't trust my own decisions about what's the mm. best way to do something. Yeah. Like I did hire like earlier on, bigger picture, but now like we're in the weeds and I don't know. And so I need to just see someone play it so I can feel like feel which path is best. Um, I'll just go in and I'll watch. I won't say anything. And sometimes like it won't, they'll just go past it. The thing I was worried about and they'll say something else. So they'll give me feedback on like, you should put a screen shake in here. I'm like, okay, well that wasn't, you know, that's interesting. And I might in a future one, but that wasn't my purpose for this prototype. But them not saying anything about the thing I was worried about is an indication that, you know, that's information I can use to make a decision. Oh, that is really interesting. And so it's all those concerns that Steven has. It doesn't invalidate the data. Right. It just makes it a little right. noisy. It's up to you to filter it. Yeah. 
Okay. Right. I don't like filtering. I don't know. That's my- <laughs> <laughs> you like to write it all no, down in your little notebooks, right? I do, though. But that's my, you know, that's your job to, you know, filter all yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, information you can't use now. I think that I think that like the goal with the prototyping tool, the ideal goal with them is to, to make your prototype as quickly as possible mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. as effectively as possible. Maybe I should restate that because like you can make a paper prototype um, very quickly, right? That's the fastest. I think mm-hmm. that's the fastest way you can prototype anything. I I say, um, but that might not be an effective method to test whatever thing you're trying to um, develop or understand. Um, and so I think you, you want to pick a, a prototyping tool. Um, you want to pick a method of prototyping that will uh, lead you to the most effective testing, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, easier said than done, right? But like, I think so like it's, it's different for every person, but I think that's a combination of your skills as a developer and what you want to test. So, for example... If I'm testing, if I want to make a, if I'm gonna, of course, I'm going to say fighting game. If I want to make a fighting game. Uh, I mean, if, <laughs> imagine, imagine Steven right. wants to make a fighting game. Just go with us on this one. <laughs> My brain is short circuiting. What's happening? It's a big stretch. But <laughs> if I were to make a fighting game, paper prototyping, I can test a lot of the mechanics of a, of a fighting game. But there's a lot of aspects that are missing from that. Like, it's difficult to test the real time uh, back and forth between players. Um, yeah. Due to, you know, you just using paper. It, I mean, you can right. do it. It's it'll be real weird and it's not going to give you all the information you're going to need. So you might mm-hmm. you'll, you might have to make a quick prototype in um, and an engine instead on, on a computer. Yes. Um, so that like you can get mm-hmm. a better you can get a better understanding of what your player is going to go through. Right. And it depends on what you're mm-hmm. prototyping. So you can abstract away yeah. some of that stuff. So uh, I was thinking about some of the nice games jams we've done that mm-hmm. were a, a, a intended to be digital games. but we we had to play them as paper prototypes. And right. uh, uh, the one that I'm really thinking of is Blob Ball. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. It, yeah. it was like sort of a, a sports style game uh, that we imagined um, where uh, groups of, of your characters needed to hold up this giant blob, not drop it and not get it stolen from the other team. And that involved mm-hmm. a lot of physics simulations. I think our prompt was like silly physics or something. And so yeah. we recognized right away that we can't paper prototype a physics system. And so we needed right. to abstract mm-hmm. that away. And so, but I think that was a very successful prototype uh, in that, I mean, that we, we were successfully made it. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> e- even in the fact that like, it, I think it's hard to visualize it. You want to make a fighting game, like uh, all that stuff about footsies and, you know, insert other uh, vocabulary here in a fighting game that you, <laughs> you just uh-huh. can't get a proper, you can't understand it. That's for later. That's, yeah. you know, that's uh, for, another, but you can still, uh, build a prototype that tests things that 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 uh, are not that right that are still valuable yeah. to you. Uh, and every yes, game is going to be different. Much. And every you know some things you can extract away and then doesn't give you that much information. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still it's still within possibility. And so paper prototypes are still pretty appropriate. Sometimes it just takes a little extra work um, to get that. But the the information you get from it can lead to a, give you a lot of findings that help you design later. Yes, I think that's true, and I think that's fair. Um, uh, yeah, and I don't I don't. There are a lot of things you can do to make paper prototypes work for the things you're trying to figure out. But um, it is sometimes faster to just like make a quick. Just get right into just, it. Like, yeah. Well, and, and, and like you might be making a prototype of like a sequel to a game. Like if we wanted to prototype mm-hmm. Widget Satchel, for mm-hmm. example, a Super Widget Satchel. Like, yes, yes. If we wanted to prototype <laughs> Super Widget Satchel. We could just take Widget Satchel and like 
real quick hard code a bunch of things and test out some stuff because we already made the game. Right, right. We already have that. Well, it's, it's dependent so we on the direction that. we wanted to take it, or if there was some new exactly. core mechanic we wanted to do. We could, we could, yeah, yeah. we could take a, what we have because it's available to us. Right, right, yeah. And so that could widget be, satchel VR. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't so give me ideas. Tool you can use. <laughs> uh, that could be a tool you could use to, uh, to uh, you know, prototype um, efficiently. It's just use yeah. what you already have made. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that like. I, I I do want to I I agree with you, Mark. I do want to make sure that listeners hear that paper prototyping can do a lot and with a lot of different like mechanics. You'd be surprised, yeah, how many different things you can prototype yeah. with just paper. And you can um, prototype things using a paper prototype that are much more difficult to do with a with a that are huge systems. You can get the feel. Yeah. So actually, thinking about Metroidvanias, uh, which mm-hmm. Super Widget Satchel, I think would be a, a if we did that would be a much more involved Metroidvania. I think. And we've had some yeah. conversations, but like thinking about like uh, item unlocks, uh, inventory management, uh, uh, revealing parts of the map, you can make a little yeah. board game of that. That's yeah. independent of the running and jumping and collecting, right? And right. and you can prototype that at a scale that that I mean, you could do that digitally too, of course. But actually, trying mm-hmm. to make it feel like a a basic version of the actual game will actually sort of be a bad mm-hmm. prototype. Yeah. Right. Um, right. You're right. And so I think it's uh, so it's helpful to think about prototypes when you're that they aren't just quick and dirty versions of your game. Yeah. Right. 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 They're methods no. of testing. Mm-hmm. They're methods of testing for reducing uncertainty yeah. so you can get to your finished game with less pain, heartache and ferret fur yeah. <laughs> than you would have otherwise. Yeah. So I think and this is a. I don't want to go, I think, too long on this topic because we're, I think we're getting into the point where we could list out some tools. But I'm just curious, you know, like to hear from you all, from you both, um, what tools have you used to prototype? Uh, so I only have two tools because I'm not. <laughs> I'm a two-trick pony? I don't know. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have done paper prototyping in the past. I find that valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, like, you know, I, I really, the engine I... Um, I'm comfortable with his unity. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Uh, stick with that Yeah. Um, in terms of prototyping. Um, and, and like, I think that that slows me down a lot because like there are, uh, there are a decent number of game mechanics that unity is not great at quickly prototyping um, where other engines are very fast at. Um, like for example, mm. um, I think visual novels are not super great to prototype Right, take a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to, to get because you like Unity is bare, like it, it has a lot of features, but like you have to get the features to work with you before you can do anything. Yeah, um, it's more of a blank so, canvas than I think Unity wants you to think when it's trying to convince you to use it, and that's good. Yeah, but it, this is yeah. one case where it's it makes it a little difficult. Right, right. And so, like, if I were to make a visual novel, I would first have to create the whole system in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are other mm-hmm. engines like Renpy um, that are much quicker at that kind of thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Game Maker is another example. To... Um, yes. Where like a lot of systems are sort of like not pre-built, but like if you want to make a custom version, you can, but later. Like yeah. <laughs> you can get it on exactly. a speed a little faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um so like yeah, I tend to prototype in Unity, and I think that it, like I said, uh it's not the best prototyping tool, but like that's that is the tool I'm most familiar with, so I just do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and I've I, I don't have like complete full knowledge on this, but I've heard from uh, 
different like AAA studios and uh, people who work in those studios um, that they do a lot of prototyping in Unity before they will move to their uh, like maybe an Unreal like the Unreal Engine or other uh, like a proprietary engine or something right, that they have right. in house. Mm -hmm. um, and so like other people do it. I think that like with those kinds of things, like in a AAA studio, they're probably prototyping a bunch of things. And so like mm -hmm. they, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do it in Unity because like you can get you can get all of these Unity things to work together really quickly. You have a big team. Um, yeah, yeah. Like mm -hmm. if you want an animation system where your third third person character, like you know, does blended animations, like Unity, you can yeah. whip that up really quickly. But if right. you're you know you're working at Naughty Dog or something, you're not going to use that in your final game, but you're not yeah. testing for that right now. So, exactly. so unity right. is actually quite good in those ways. It's a, it actually, it's kind of this, it's a scale, right? It depends on what your final project aims for. And then what do you scale down for what you need to test for? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good point. That's a, yeah. Unity mm -hmm. is better for mm -hmm. larger scales, mm -hmm. but yeah, those are the tools that I've used in the past. Mark, how about you? Uh, for me? Um, yeah. Pen and paper is great. Um, I, I quite like, if I'm testing an idea, I'm okay with just writing down a procedure. Like I don't like even less than paper prototyping. Like this happens and this happens and this happens. And th usually that that's that starts from me like designing something in my head and like and kind of just uh, making sort of an outline of of um, events and behaviors and stuff. And then I can just use that as a way to present that to someone. Like and that's that's been helpful. And that is the the easiest way to get an idea out. But it requires a lot of, it's also not, the data you get from that is really fuzzy um, yeah. because you're not really mm -hmm. testing proper mechanics. You're kind of like, um, it's a Q&A session with, with somebody who you're presenting it to essentially. Uh, it's right. useful, it can be done quickly. Um, and I, I do recommend it, but you can only trust, it only can get point you in the right direction. It's not as good as a proper paper prototype. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I do quite like paper prototypes. And I think like I was sort of hinting at before, I really want to, I'm really obsessed with the notion of like testing an idea that's too big to develop now and abstracting away as much as possible to be able to test it. Um, and so I, I, I'm always looking for opportunities to do that. And paper prototyping is a really, really good way of doing that. Not just because you can, but because you have to, right? Yeah. Like if, mm -hmm. if, if um, you start thinking about all your systems and well, I'm gonna need this, I'm gonna need that, I'm gonna need that. And that's great. But being restricted to, you know, uh, you know, uh, colored paper and crayons, whatever, like, or little <laughs> tokens, like, suddenly you're like, well, I can't test any of those things. Okay, well, then let me drill down. What am I actually trying to answer? And what can I use these mm -hmm. tools to do it? And then ultimately, uh, just by happenstance, right? Like, I'm okay with, like, things bleeding into each other. So, like, I'm it's like, oh, I, I'm actually going to use some of the design I did for this paper prototype, and I'm going to bring it into the digital version. And I wouldn't have come up with that otherwise. And it's just a way to farm notions. Right. Like it's not, it's not efficient and it's, it's yeah. a little random, but like I, I'm always looking for opportunities to do that. And I think restricting yourself intentionally is very good for that. So paper prototype is really great for that. For digital, yeah. um, mm -hmm. I'm a Flash developer. So one of the sort of benefits of Flash going away as a, as a, uh, you know, a thing anyone will accept as a final delivery mechanism is that it still exists as a way to prototype <laughs> uh, uh, interactions really really good for when you want to do uh, when you when you want to bring animations and presentations and sort of like um storyboard style uh sequences flash is so good at that because you can just draw directly in the tool so it's very quick mm -hmm. so if you i mean even if you don't have an artist's hand um you can you know like getting a stick figure sprite into a unity uh, uh, thing is no less complicated than getting the final art into unity 
Do you know what I mean? If you're the developer, yeah. it's exactly yeah. as complicated. So, um, I mean, there's more to it if there's more to it. But in uh, in Flash, you can just draw the stick figure um, and <laughs> it's done. So um, I, I recommend that uh, for people who do have a Creative Cloud license. Uh, it's called Adobe Animate now, and it's pitched as an animation tool because that is really what it's quite good at, but still has the application framework in there. You can still code. Um, and you can even do it in hmm. JavaScript if that's uh, what you, that could be the code you use. So um, you can end up, and you can, um, you can uh, present those to others as, uh, as HTML pages. So it's still a really good platform for that. Very cool. I, I, I quite like using that. Um, but I'm with you, Stephen. Like a lot of times I will prototype in the tool I'm using uh, for the final yeah. project. I think um, uh, maybe, maybe it's a, uh, I'm fooling myself, but because I am a, a you know, uh, you know, I, I do art and code, I do all those points. Like I don't necessarily need a separate tool all the time unless I'm really trying to purposely restrict myself. I'm fine yeah. taking a prototype and then just refactoring it until it's the real thing. Like I know that, yeah. uh, like I think that there's good advice to not do that. You don't take your prototype and turn it into your vertical slice, but yeah. we all sort of do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think we need to stop pretending that we all don't do it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as long as we know the, 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 you know, the issues that come from that sort of thing. But yeah, I will prototype something in unity and then I'll take, and eventually it'll all be written, rewritten anyway. But I, I, but it is some, there's an advantage to, if you are on that tool chain, uh, to not have to fully rewrite it. Um, even though frankly, you're, you're probably going to anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, like because the experiences I've been prototyping for work are so short, I usually just use Adobe XD, which is oh, made for yeah. you know web. Which is great. I love that program. Yeah, it's a fantastic, and it's it's something we've been exploring over the last like six months to a year um, as a team. So now, like not only do I just do the prototyping prototyping of the instructional interactivity, but our artists are using it to develop like assets, and then they can just quickly export it to a development link, and it's it's creating some new opportunities for new workflows. So I think I, I think if you're, you're looking to do like a wireframey kind of thing, Adobe XD can be mm -hmm. nice. If you're looking at like trying different screen sizes out, Adobe XD is pretty nice. Um, if you're trying to like test out complex mechanics, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not going to do it for you. You have to do something and else. And a, a pitch for um, XD that I'll make is for people who are uh, scared by Adobe subscription plans, XD is free. Um, hey, you get bonus features and you get real-time collaboration and stuff when, when you're part of a plan, but it is, it's free for everybody just to give it a try. And it's pretty powerful mm. on its own. And they're, they're updating it so yeah. frequently. Like they are, this is a well cared for product. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think, uh, I guess the last thing I want to just add to this conversation is like, sometimes prototypes are, they can lead to stuff that's really cool. Like, yeah. Uh, example is Blarp, which is a VR game that I was introduced to at GlitchCon a few years ago. Isaac Cohen, who is known uh, as Kabibo on Twitter, came to speak, and he also brought Blarp, which is a game that he developed. And he talked a little bit about, um, you know, the value he finds. This was in his talk. He discussed like the value he finds in just m messing around and prototyping mm -hmm. stuff. Um, because he'll come across like cool ideas. And one of the cool ideas that he was messing around with led to this fun game called Blurp, which is available on Steam and it's for the Vive. So it's, you know, prototype, prototypes, prototype your ideas, take your idea, make it a thing, test it, and then take it from there. Hey, Nice Games Club listener. Do you have friends? <laughs> I hope so. Don't answer that. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could talk to your friends about some stuff that's happening in the world? Like some nice stuff? I have an idea. You could talk about this podcast. Because we're pretty nice. We talk about nice things. We talk about thought-provoking stuff. And it'd be cool to talk to your friends about this kind of thing. So if you uh, if you have been listening for a while and you have, have been, you know, stimulating your brain with our conversations, uh, maybe bring in a friend and have your own little nice games club. Listen to an episode together or listen to them apart and then come together, but in a socially distanced way, to talk about it. Just send a message to your friends. Slip out a little, make a little tweet about what you uh, what you heard on the podcast. Maybe a funny joke or a Stephenism or <laughs> some wise thing Mark said and send it out. Tweet it to your followers. Send it as a text message to your friend. Just say, hey, this was a cool episode. You should listen to this part. Yeah, we ask people to to help spread the word. And there's lots of mechanisms to do that. But really, whatever one makes the most sense to you. Maybe even come up with even uh, wiser uh, thoughts or even Stephener-isms. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that's a term now, I guess. <laughs> Don't ask me what it means. Yeah, really, I mean, the show is just supposed to be the beginning, right? Like, this is a conversation between us three, but it's, you know, the conversation really is wider. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, and we want to bring as many people into the conversation around these topics as we can. So help us do that. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so for my topic, I wanted to talk big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more you develop games and the more skills you learn, um, the more expertise you have in specific areas and how they connect and relate. And then you can really get lost in that forest. Um, yeah. And so uh, this is a topic that has um, come up on the show a lot. And so um, I think not a lot of this will be new, but we wanted to just make it a topic finally um, to sort of really like hammer home the idea. But it's game design pillars. And so um, wh- why don't I just open it up as a question uh, to get this conversation r- rolling? But like, what do both of you think of when you think of that term? Like, what is the what would be the definition for you? Um, when I think of that term, I like picture what I want the player to experience uh, while playing this game. Um, and so, uh, like, it's like the core idea of what the game is. And arguably it could, it doesn't necessarily have to be what the player, well, I get, no, it always should be what the player experiences. I think I'm making a strong statement there, but <laughs> I feel like that, I feel like that is what, like it, it should ultimately be And that, that method doesn't necessarily have to be through the mechanics. It can be through the art style. 
um, the visuals, the, the, the narrative, the sound, a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. But like, um, like the, a, the game design pillar, a game design pillar for your game is something that you want your player to feel or experience in the moment while they're playing it. Yeah. That's how I think of it. Ellen, what say you? Yeah, it's like, I think Steven is definitely, I wish I would have gone first because then Steven could have said it better second. Now I have to say it worse after him. Uh, but yeah, I think it's like, it's like a, the, it's like a, the small set of very core driving ideas that, that shape your game. Yeah. And how you make it and the decisions that you have yeah. to face and make along the way. Um, and it should be those, they should be driven by a player's experience because yeah, it's a game. So there's going to be a player. It's really what, yeah. I don't know. See, I told you it wasn't going to be as <laughs> well, good. I will. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I will contradict what I literally just said a moment ago too. So maybe your answer is <laughs> a little bit better, but <laughs> Well, here, let me comment on both of yours first, because I think yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I also super it. agree with Steven and think he's a mm. genius. I think you laid it out really well. But Ellen, you actually added a really uh, clever uh, bit of wisdom there, which is just it's a, a list of oh. these these specific ideas, right? Like mm. the the like Steven was talking about how it feels. And I think y- yeah. you touched on like the 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 goal of the designer, like this, the, the sort of things you go back to the, those 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 notions. And I think that yeah. I think that that's two halves of this idea that together I think is the whole notion. So I have no nothing further to add to that really, um, oh. <laughs> in terms of definition. So I think you both nailed it. So Stephen, go ahead and contradict yourself now. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so arguably, you could make a design pillar that has nothing to do with the player. Mm-hmm. In that, you just want to learn how to make a thing in like an engine or something. And so like your oh, yeah. your game, your design pillar could be make a game in RPG Maker. Um, like a personal goal. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's not, well, yes, exactly. And so as a, as a result of that, I guess like you're limited by that engine. Um, yeah, Or yeah, that yeah. goal. Um, mm. I see what you're I, going I for. If, yeah, I see what you're going yeah. for. And I think, because um, I know that we've talked a lot about uh, intent of the designer and like, what is, yeah. what is the point of you making this game? What message do you want to send? And sometimes yeah. all your game is about is finishing your first game. <laughs> right yeah Yeah. and like that's okay right like it's going to be about other things too but if that's your main goal then then i I, so i think steven you hit on that really well i think i want to exclude that from this conversation though because i think i do want to be specific about um like the actual the the, what goes in the game design document this might actually serve as a good transition to what you were about to get to mark but i want to i want to do a counterpoint to what steven was saying because (laughs) everyone's disagreeing with steven today (laughs) Including Steven. Even Steven. I thought I was a genius. (laughs) You are. And wrong sometimes. (laughs) Um, Einstein was wrong about quantum theory, right? True, true. I'm probably wrong about that. (laughs) Uh, So, like, how do you know your game is done if you don't have design pillars for your game? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I think like maybe learn or make a game in this engine could be one of them, but like it's not enough to be able to make a game because you need design pillars to know what your game is. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's important to like what's as Steven's describing it, it's important to have those things too as like uh they can be pillars of another type of, of like motivations yes. and goals. And they could even yes. supersede mm-hmm. your game's design, right? And often do, and that is often uh, that's often smart and healthy and and, and proper. 
But without game design pillars, yeah, you're not going to be able to necessarily satisfy your own um, your own personal motivations in that other category. Um, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're totally right about that, Ellen. Sweet. Thank you for contradicting my contradictions. Uh, <laughs> well, what I love about I've lost it is that, track of like, who said it, what it's now. It's a big idea. It's a big sort of thing you can <laughs> yeah, wrap yeah. around. And uh, yeah. um, the, the thing that I always um, to sort of put a button on it is once you have these notions, and we'll come up with like what they are and how you come up with them. But once you have these notions, I think what's important is to is to to every little decision you make, every mechanical decision, every piece of art you do, every time you approve a piece of music or whatever, um, you know, if you're like, don't kill yourself doing this all the time. But like, ideally, every choice you make should reflect back on those design pillars. Does this meet what I'm doing? And if you say, I don't know, then you don't have a pillar that covers that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's up to you to decide if that's OK or not. But yeah. uh, but I would say personally, and I think there's there's fair room for disagreement on this. But I think that it's worth it to to make sure every decision you make can be traced back to one of your design pillars. And if you only have yeah. one or two, then they all have to go there. Uh, but you can have a, a a baker's dozen of them if it suits you. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about what these pillars are and how you come up with them. Um, yeah. Like, what would be a good example, Stephen, of a game design pillar? Um. Well, uh, I guess if you want like the player to experience um, a form of horror, I don't know why I went to horror games immediately. But <laughs> <laughs> what have you done with a real right? Steven? Gosh, um, if you want if you want the player to experience like the dread of forgetting to turn in their homework assignment, um, and it's the last day of school, and this is the only thing they need before they could graduate. Then that could be a design pillar. Okay, so something that replicates that exact feeling. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So maybe not (laughs) that exact scenario. Yes, but that feeling, yeah. Mm -hmm. That emotion, the dread that you feel from that. Yeah. You know, walking into the classroom and all that stuff. That all that stuff you could express through the game design. So if you're making Resident Evil three, you you you, it fits that pillar. But if you're making Resident Evil four, that's maybe not your pillar, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) potentially, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I've never played those. <laughs> well, it's well. I mean, uh, I haven't either, but I know uh, uh, amongst fans, the earlier games are horror, later games are action. And oh so, yeah, that's true. And so right. when you when you think about a game that changes genres or something, like a lot of it is because the des- it's not because the designers forgot how what their games are about. Um, yeah. You know, uh, to give them the benefit of the doubt, anyway, a lot of it is just because they had different goals this time, or that you know the game was meant to 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 hit a certain threshold or meet a certain need that's maybe different from another one or whatever. And so yeah. when you're making, and that's important because it's super easy if you don't have those design pillars to end up making something you didn't intend to, right? Yeah. Like yes. Give a feeling that it doesn't have. Right. Yeah. And like, I think that's important too, because like, um, I like that you bring up holistic the, the game development mm-hmm. a lot, Mark, because like, I think that this is a part of that. Yeah. Um, if you, yeah, it, it, like you said, if you make sure that all of the decisions you make are traced back to one of your design pillars, and it'll all feel like a cohesive whole. All right. I mean, um, as long as like, you know, your game design pillars work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's part of making the develop developing those the pil- pillars too, is like yeah. making sure that they all still fit yeah. in yeah, some yeah. way. So a good, ex- or, yeah. uh, the example that, that I have for, for the game we all worked on widget satchel is that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a platformer. It's almost a Metroidvania. Um, and it has a lot of mechanics, but the, the yeah. thing we always, every decision we made was, uh, does this make the game feel like you're goofing off a little bit? 
yeah. like that was kind of, uh, I, I don't know that we defined it exactly, but it was always like, is this mechanic or this kind of thing? Like we want uh, um, Sprocket to knock things yeah. over, but not break them. Right. Yeah. And and, mm -hmm. and so like and that's a feeling that's not specific. So Sprocket, in fact, breaks a lot of things. But like we want the feeling <laughs> yeah. to be sort of like uh, silly and, and not dire. Right. Yeah. And so that was really important for things like, well, Sprocket has, quote unquote, weapons, but Sprocket can't destroy any other any any enemies. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> things like that, like those are mechanics that are then. Uh, uh, um, we made those choices because they feed into that design pillar. So that's a concrete example yes. that I can think of just yeah. from a game I worked on. Um, and I, I like that you brought up Widget Satchel because yeah. I don't think we really established that as a pillar until later in the process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't It wasn't part of our prototypes or our, the game jam. It, we didn't know right. it right away. And I think that's something right. that people, when they when they want to like say write games design documents or come up with like, what is my game going to be about? Or I'm spending three months with all these different prototypes. It can be one way to do it is to have that. I want to make a game that X, right? That does this. Mm -hmm. And, and then the, your prototypes are in service to that. Everything you do is in service to that. But um, one of the other things that when I, when I harp on like holistic game design is that anything can come from anything else. And once it's built, mm -hmm. it does not matter what part you built first. And so yeah. it is also totally cool to find your way to a design pillar. And I, I think uh, people shouldn't be afraid of, of playing around. And uh, um, uh, Widget Satchel was that. I think we, we, we touched on it early enough. But you're right. We didn't have it from the beginning. Partly because it was a game jam originally. Um, right, yeah. But uh, um, my game Metro Nexus is like that. Where it started out um, as really like what you were describing earlier, Stephen. As a way to learn a, a certain tool set uh, that I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And only later did the the sort of the ultimate uh, 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 pillars of it in terms of how its its narrative is structured and how its mechanics feed into that. That happened probably two years into me making that thing, um, mm -hmm. where I finally settled on what it was really meant to do. And, and then every choice after that um, uh, was in service to that. But it took me a while. And it's I think it's okay if it takes you a while as, as well. Yeah. Ellen, wow. I, didn't, I didn't ask you about uh, an example, like what would be a good design pillar yeah, so I, gosh, they're not. I'm trying to think of, I mean, Widget Satchel is, I think he just like nailed that particular one because, you know, I feel like my, my task that I gave myself when I was working on level design was, can it blow up? <laughs> and, and the answer was almost always yep. sure. <laughs> um, but overall, like the thing that I think that's, one of the, th even if you said like you didn't plan this out at the beginning, it's not like you said, we're going to make a game jam game that has these pillars in it. So now we're going to, yeah. you know, like you, thought of, you, game jams don't, I'm sure someone has done that at a game jam at some <laughs> point, but that seems like you don't have time for yeah. that. Like, um, but this emergent, this like pillar that emerged from the mist deep in the space station, um, like of goofing off, mm -hmm. you know, like not being destructive, but being mischievous, yeah, yeah, yeah. goofing off. Um, that's what drew me to the game was like the, the just zooming around and jumping on bots and whacking yep. things. Like it's why Sprocket always tumbles when they land uh, be uh, because yeah. that's silly, right? Not just because it looks cute, <laughs> but because it makes you like Sprocket is not uh, a, an assassin, <laughs> right? Sprocket doesn't exactly <laughs> yeah. know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> No, he's a ferret with a and wrench. Ellen, when you put in like all of those explosions into the the sections that you made, 
I, I initially was like, okay, yeah, but like if there's that many explosions on a space station, it would be properly destructive. And like, okay, well, maybe it's because it's a sort of a cartoon universe. Maybe that's okay in the Warner Brothers sense. But really what makes that work is that the section you had in, in level five where it's just a room full of exploding barrels and it's just dozens and dozens of <laughs> them all yeah. stacked up and, yeah. and you just walk by it and just tap it and they all blow up. That is more destruction than I would have otherwise been comfortable with, but because it's so much and it's so specifically a room to like trip and fall and kaboom that it feeds into that. It feeds into that idea even better than if there were, say, two barrels that when you blow them up, a wall falls down, yeah. you know, and so yeah. it, like you, you it that's why the pillars had to be kind of a, like what Steven's like about feelings and about ex- yeah. and about experience, because you will really cut yourself off from good ideas if you're if you're too specific about how you want it to be. And yeah. but mm-hmm. if, but if you're um, if you're adamant about how you want it to feel, you can find a hundred thousand ways to get there. Right. That can all mm-hmm. live together really well. And so that's one thing that like and that's why it was so good that we had a bunch of level designers on Widget Satchel because because um, we all shared that sort of outcome. We wanted to how it to feel. But it, right. it gave us more opportunities to find different ways to feel like a richer experience, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and I think, you know, we, we before we started rolling the digital tape, um, I think we talked about, like, do you start with game design pillars and then prototype or do you start with prototypes and yeah. then find some game design pillars? Yeah. And I, you've converted me to the to your way of thinking, because I, how how the heck do you know? Like some of these things are very specific feelings mm-hmm. like right. and how like you have to have kind of some idea what the game could be before you can start articulating what those feelings are. I think it's like a recursive thing. It feeds back into itself. Yeah. But like, you know, if you had said like, this is a game about goofing off, like, and it's a ferret in a space station. I would have been like, how are we going to like, you need it. Like you almost need to have part of the game kind of thought yeah, out yeah. so that you can put pillars on top of it. If you, otherwise it's just like, what ground are you resting this pillar on? It's just going to float in space and not be a thing. I have a really good example of that, which is Space Invaders. So Space Invaders oh. is a game where you have a row of enemies, a row of aliens, and when you shoot them, yeah. as you shoot more and more of them, they come down faster and faster. And this is a yeah. this is a common mm-hmm. this is a common piece of history that a lot of people know. But the reason they go faster and faster is because it's a it's a sort of an inefficiently programmed piece of software. And when all the enemies are on screen, it the refresh rate is just a lot slower. And uh-huh. so it wasn't designed that way. Um, and so it was, but the game has a real feeling of rising tension of the better you do, the more dangerous the game becomes, right? Um, it's not that the game gets harder, it's that it gets da- more dangerous. And so if mm-hmm. I were anyone making a game that wants to feel like Space Invaders or make like the big reimagined Space Invaders for next gen consoles or whatever, you need that feeling. And that's its pillar. And 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 mm-hmm. who knows if they had that in mind de- at any point in development, but that mm-hmm. is not if you were to then continue on that work. So it's um, you can you can really fall into it and that's OK. And a lot of times it, it can end up having the strongest ideas. Um, and this is true in like it, it, when you're uh, writing or when you're uh, 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 in film or any other type of media where um, you you're just doing this thing for a random reason. You're making this creative choice for a random reason. And then you hit on something and suddenly that becomes the, the guiding light for the rest of the project. 
Um, yeah. I, I think that is um, it, just, yeah, to get yourself out of a funk or like a, I need to do this before I do that. Um, it means you're going to waste some time, right? You're going to try things that don't work, but that's what prototypes right. are for, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can do it both ways, really. Like if, if you, if you have an idea on what you want the game to be, you've like developed a design pillar, then you could prototype it. And then your design pillar can potentially morph into a more solidified pillar. Yeah. Um, um, through your prototyping, then like that can work. But you could also just like prototype things just to experiment and discover what it is you want to make. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. that's actually, now that I think about it, that's where like the, the goal of like creating something in an engine so you can understand how the engine works better or because you want to use it or whatever mm-hmm. um, works into that. Because like if you wanted to make an RPG, if you want to use RPG Maker and it makes RPGs, um so you you can experiment with like all of the different uh things that are available in that in that engine um you might stumble across like this feature of rpg maker that is really fascinating to you and then that creates an idea in your head um as you're prototyping about like what this game could be and then and then mm-hmm. as a result your your game design pillar you know starts solidifying into something yeah um, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It could go both ways. Yep. Yep. Um, what's What's important about it is that, like, you just need to make sure that you have established game design pillars as you move on to actual production of the game. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, then, like, you know what the game is or the game should be, and you're developing assets, programs, uh, uh, programming, um, you know, designs, and all of this stuff towards those game design pillars. Or you have to be really comfortable with uh, m- making production decisions that are n- on shaky ground. And that's okay yeah. sometimes too, but you have to know it, right? You have right. to know, like, I'm, I, we haven't really figured out if you wanted this to feel more like twitchy action or more sort of adventure puzzly. Uh, the yeah. mechanics that mm-hmm. we've, we've tested seem to w- kind of give us both senses, but as we work, we'll find our way towards it. And, mm-hmm. um, and then maybe we'll change our mind or whatever. And like, but you just yeah. got to know it going in that that's what you're doing. And so yeah. that, that's kind of why this is a really fuzzy topic, because it's not there isn't one way or one answer that works for everybody on every project. Yeah. And sometimes your pillars mm-hmm. will completely change because sometimes yeah. you'll just have you'll have a artistic ideology that will just evolve. Um, not just that, like this mechanic worked better for that, but sometimes you'd be like, oh, I don't want to say that anymore. So mm-hmm. then you have to change other things. But the thing that that gets I think a lot of designers caught up is that they will have mechanics they really love and then they'll stick with them longer than they have any use. And you'll see this in shipping games. Mm-hmm. You'll see like yeah. headline features or things that were like announced as like a interesting novel idea, but then the game doesn't really leverage them that much um, or, yeah. it le- mm-hmm. or, or ends up being like, why is this still there? It's vestigial um, or it doesn't feed into enough of what the narrative is about. And uh, there's lots of great games that have that problem. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it's something that I think you can Hopefully, if you are more thoughtful about this process, you can kind of avoid it. Because, yeah. like Stephen, we've said this all the time in many conversations: mechanics are not design pillars, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah. of things that aren't design pillars, right? Like your art yeah. style isn't a, isn't a design pillar, right? right. Uh, how long your game mm-hmm. is isn't necessarily a design pillar. Like if you mm-hmm. set out to make an epic eighty-hour adventure, like that's a great goal, and maybe you hold on to that goal, but like, I it's a hard it's hard to make that a design pillar because there's not a lot that feeds into that. Um, yeah. Right. Your design pillars are supposed to inform those things. Yeah. Your design sp- pillars inform the length of your game, 
your design pillars inform the mechanics. Yes. They're not the same. But like thing. a math yeah. equation, you can you know, the, a variable can be on either side. So if you really want it to be an 80-hour adventure, like if if you or you really want this specific mechanic, you're so invested in it, and there's lots of reasons why you might be, right? Because you invented it. So maybe you're in, you're invested in presenting something that's new and novel and you came up with. You then have to find yourself a way to a design pillar that 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 mechanic that you're attached to satisfies so that yeah. other decisions you make can be in light of that design pillar and not that mechanic because yes. you will get really in the weeds if 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 your attack if your your anchor is something that isn't a design pillar right right yeah it makes it very difficult to make decisions if you don't have a clear definition of what it is you want from your game if yeah. it's just i want this thing in the game then it's hard to because that thing is unrelated to many other things that are bring, going to be a part of your game and also yeah. i mean they're also related to a lot of things but like it's not going to help you to make a lot of decisions yeah that you're going to have to make yeah. in order to complete a game and we've said this on the show before but you yes you listener all of your ideas are good like no, you know what I mean. Every idea you've had, every is is maybe you don't do it. Maybe it's not as good as it could be. Maybe you got to work on it. But you have so many good ideas, and if you don't have a way to filter through them to know which ones you this game needs and which ones it doesn't need, which ones right for another project, um, which ones work together in service of something that you're you're going for, then you're just gonna have a potpourri game um, with all all of your awesome ideas. But then it it ends yeah. up not being doesn't add up to much ultimately. Um, yep. It won't smell nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as good a note to end on as any. Wouldn't you say, Ellen? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Unless, I mean, the, this is a, one of those topics where I feel like I get on my soapbox a little bit and rant. And I think I did a bit of that this time. So is there any final words you guys want to have on this topic? Please take them. I'm, I mean, we all ranted a bit. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We have the platform to rant, Mark. That's why we're That's here. true. That's true. I just want to be an <laughs> equal opportunity rant environment. Um. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I guess I had one observation that I, I uh, came up with while we were talking. Mm -hmm. like, it's a little separate from what we're talking about. But I think that um, I've never worked in AAA space. But I think that like a lot of AAA games end up failing uh, or the process of the development is very difficult for um, some of the employees, some of the people who are working on it, particularly because they don't have a full understanding of what game they're making. And, yeah. and it's not mm -hmm. because they like signed on in this game. And they're like, I don't care what it is. I'm going to just make it. It's because the producers, the higher ups don't do a good enough job portraying what, what it is that they're actually trying to develop. Um, yeah. And like, I, I like, uh, I think a lot of, um, a lot of the game, a lot of the AAA games that like you hear in the news about like the development being um, a train wreck and like the game ended up coming out, but like they, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the developers never knew when it was going to happen or like when like they could actually, you know, move on to something else, things like that. Or like they didn't know what like a lot of like mechanics and things got thrown out the window and restarted and redeveloped and all these things. Mm -hmm. I think it's because like at the, the core of the game is not fully understood by the producers and that and if you don't under if you don't understand the core of the game then you can't portray that information to the people who you know the developers of the game right right mm -hmm. uh, or you have to rein them in so much that they don't have any creative ownership 
Yeah, uh, which right. which then just makes it a, a different kind of oppressive environment. But if you yeah you if you communicate those pillars, then you can also uh, just like with like having multiple level designers. Like if everybody kind yeah. of has a general understanding, and it doesn't even have to be a specific defined understanding. It it can mm -hmm. be just a, something you know everybody un, uh, understands through various processes of working together. Then it's so much easier to like let people contribute in a real big way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that like, and I mean, like I said, I've never worked in AAA space. I'm, I've definitely never been a producer in AAA. So like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in all those producer meetings when they're determining what the game is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I think that like, it might come down to um, that there are conflicts in what the, de the design pillars of the game are supposed to be. And it makes it difficult to, it makes it difficult to find a cohesive whole for what the game uh, inevitably, inevitably will be once it's completed right it mm -hmm. just makes it difficult to develop if you don't have a full understanding of what the game is going to be mm -hmm. um, yeah you need a clear vision yeah and, and like and like i said uh i'm not triple a but like they have different uh determinations for what what to determine goes into a game too because like they're not like triple a space you know there are there are artists in the triple a space and all of them are artists but like it's kind of made for a different purpose than what a lot of indie games yeah. tend to make games for. Um, and so like they have different things to consider. And that's, that's actually a distinction that I think is it's, it's dangerous to assume that just cause a pro a product is mainly commercial. Yeah. Right. Uh, that it, that it shouldn't follow those same practices. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And it sounds mm -hmm. like what you're describing mm -hmm. is a scenario where it's like, well, this is an art or it's art, but only at the margins. So maybe we don't have to treat it like. All right, I'm trying not to say that because yeah, like yeah, it yeah, is yeah. art, but right, like right, right, I, right. I want to. I the higher ups are also concerned about like it's got to make a certain amount of money. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with making a project right. that is not yeah. you know meant to go in the Louvre or whatever. Like that's whatever. Yeah. But I think I think the I think these lessons like it really should apply to games at all scales. It's it's a production yes, method, it does. if nothing else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, well, that's what I was trying to yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks for yeah for. Uh, specifying that mm -hmm. i now have a scene of da vinci like looking down on us going mona lisa was just a prototype <laughs> <laughs> that's our show check out our website nicegames.club for show notes and links to resources on today's topics if you like this episode give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends independent podcasts like ours need word of mouth to grow we love hearing from our listeners for a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and a partial walkthrough VHS. These are, it's a wild thing. You should check it out. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. really hard not to laugh <laughs> during during the part where i always laugh i noticed that. <laughs> what was yeah um i'll cut that I'm talking about it <laughs> <laughs>
this is we're doing we now. we are getting kind of loopy it seems <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll tighten it up okay um um so- you go as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.